Hello! Welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this is the podcast where we watch and talk about the FX show Legion. I would normally make a clock pun at this point, but if I did, we would be having a conversation about time, and I try never to have conversations about time. Was that, was that the pun? Yeah, it wasn't a pun. It was just a statement of why there isn't a pun on this uh, particular podcast. Okay. I try but, never to have conversations about time. Uh-huh. That was a line from the show, isn't it? Yes, it was. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We are so extremely excited. Oh my goodness, we're so excited. It's season two, you guys. We're back. We are back. The show is back. Everything's back. This is the greatest moment in the history of 2018. We have, like, microphones and recording stuff. And, like, we don't sound like garbage anymore. So that's all good, too. Yeah, if you have not been listening to the bonus episodes and are just here for Legion proper, uh... Hey, welcome to our new sound. Our sound, sound is so much, much better. better. <laughs> yep. Yep. That is thanks, by the way, to support from patrons. You could be a patron of this podcast and our other podcast by supporting us at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. I'm not going to make a pitch for that at the end of this episode because I just did it right now. But patron support is what gave us the audio equipment that allows us to sound so much better. Thank Mm -hmm. you to all patrons. All right, so season two. Yes, we are. What do you think, Paul? Let's just say officially for listeners, for the record, we are talking today about the first episode of season two of Legion. We're calling this episode, arbitrarily, we're calling it White Rabbit. It's officially called Chapter Nine. Yes. I really like it. Oh my goodness. Wow. It's, it's, it's a big change. It is. Like, we've been, we watched in the interim between seasons one and two, we watched Fargo. We did, all three seasons. All three seasons. We did some bonus episodes on those. And so we know from previous, we know from Noah Hawley, Mm -hmm. the writer of this show, that he changes between seasons. Like, the tone between the three seasons of Fargo is very different from each other, and I'm guessing that the tones between the seasons of Legion is going to be the same. Or it's going to be the same in the sense of being different. In the the sense of being different. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we saw when we saw the trailer for season two, we mentioned this a little bit, and watching this episode, I feel totally confirmed in this looks Familiar, like it's not a different show. It's probably, and even Fargo, like there are differences, uh, but there are connections also, connections of characters and and theme and idea. Yes. In this episode, really, the aesthetics of it is noticeably different from anything in season one. And that's kind of what I think you meant and certainly what I mean about Fargo, that you can watch a shot from an episode of Fargo and know what season it is. I am guessing it's going to be the same here. You could watch a single shot without any characters in it, and you can tell that this is not season one of Legion, it's season two of Legion, because the color scheme, the uh, things that we're, the images we're coming back to are just different in this season. There's hexagons instead of circles. I know. Uh. 
I might talk about that more, but like, it's really like significant that suddenly there's hexagons. And we will see whether this uh, continues. Like, maybe we're overstating. Maybe it'll be very familiar visual language to season one. I'm guessing that there's going to be a noticeable difference in the visual language now that we're in season two. Absolutely. There certainly is a, I mean, again, there's continuity, but there's a different visual language here in season two in the first episode. So I think we should say that the ideas and images that we as clockworks have fixated on in season one, we're not going to insist on fixating them if they don't turn up again and aren't interesting in this season. Like mm-hmm. red and the circles. We're not going to force that if it doesn't happen. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. So, chapter nine of Legion that we are calling White Rabbit was directed by Tim Melentz, written by Noah Hawley and Nathaniel Halpern. Tim Melentz directed one episode of season one. That was chapter five, What's on the Other Side, which you'll remember is the one where uh, David sang the creepiest cover of Rainbow Connection in the history of the universe. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of uh, time in the astral plane and inside David's head. Nathaniel Halpern wrote two episodes of season one. Chapter four, The Undiscovered, where uh, there was that fight scene between uh, Carrie and Car- where Carrie got hurt and Carrie got hurt. Mm-hmm. And chapter six, A New Day, uh, which featured the Lenny dancing through David's mind and everything was in the mental clockworks. Noah Hawley is, of course, the creator and showrunner, the credited writer of chapter one, Happy Jack, and chapter eight, If I Ruled the World. And we've heard from people, uh, unsurprisingly, that he also had a hand in plotting and even scripting of episodes that he was not credited as the writer. Absolutely. His hand is in everything and on everything. Yeah, and you can recognize that in a lot of ways, not the least that, like, it feels like a Noah Hawley show. Mm-hmm. So do you want to take us through the beat-by-beat beat of this episode, Jen? All right. So we begin with Oliver and Lenny floating in a pool, talking about time. They laugh about being trapped and we zoom out of a man's eye. He is in Paris drinking tea. We zoom out again to Oliver in a new nightclub. A voiceover on a dark screen talks about a maze, a maze that's all in your head. Teeth chatter, and we see the word club over a neon door. Patonomy and Clark approach David in a room full of empty clothes. David is catatonic, but says, They are in the maze, and we see dozens of people with chattering teeth. Carrie runs along a hallway and ushers David's body along the same hallway. Welcome to Division 3. We cut to Sid licking her hands and face, having switched bodies with a cat. Carrie comes in to tell her that they've found David. All right. Um... My first thought about all this is just there is throughout this whole episode a lot of disorienting camera placement and we start with it. The mm-hmm. first thing we see is a camera coming like out of the water up at the sky but it's sideways so the water line is vertical instead of horizontal. We literally don't know which way is up. Yeah. 
Uh, and we see a reflection. Lenny is floating on the water, and we see her hand, but her hand is reflected, so we see it twice, and it's not. I just said we're underwater going up, but maybe we're above water and seeing a reflection of the sun. Like, yeah, it is not clear where we are. Yep. And then that camera placement leads to a more literal, like, they're floating in a pool. Where? Where is it? Even before we get zoom, the zoom out and we see that it's in someone's mind, we like, where are they? Yeah. And the fir- like. And even like the oddness of like the pool is an odd shape. Yeah. It's not like a rectangle or circular pool. It's like a weird kind of flowery shape. And that's like, this I don't know, maybe that's putting. just a fancy pool, but yep. it's non-standard. Yeah, exactly. And then the first, like, if you didn't catch it before. A disembodied arm in a, apparently a suit or a tuxedo gives Oliver a drink and then we get the overhead shot and there's no one else in the pool. Really establishing, in case you missed it, what we're seeing here isn't real. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're wearing uh, black and white. Lenny's got the black and white bathing suit yeah. and Oliver's got black and white and gray bathing mm-hmm. trunks. So is that, does the gray indicate that he has a level of moral ambiguity that Lenny doesn't? I'm not sure. It 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 is a muddying of mm. him more than a muddying of her, which I found interesting. We also see twice a shot of the sun with this quite pronounced circle around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get the circles again. And there's not a lot of circle imagery in this episode, but we start with one. Mm-hmm. And... Maybe that's just because of circle imagery, but there's a lot less circle motif in this episode than we're used to. So I wonder, like, the ring around the sun is reminiscent of David's orb. Mm. Maybe that is a, our first hint that Lenny and Oliver are trapped before, he, they, before Lenny says that they're trapped. I thought it was like a pupil of an eye. That's the other thing I have written down yeah. here. My other thought is we then zoom out of an eye and zoom out of an eye, and we have the sun with an eye. And an iris around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the eye that we zoom out of, we kind of know that from the meta information that that's the Shadow King, but we have actually no clue in this episode who that person is. Right. We, he has, um, the Eiffel Tower is really pronounced in the background of where he is. So he's in Paris. The, or is he? <laughs> yeah, or is he? He's in, well, whatever. We're meant to think that it's Paris. Right. We're, uh, the, the windows behind him are all triangles. Mm, I did not notice that. Which triangles we've only seen before on David's shirts. Oh. Oh. Yes. I did not notice that they were triangles. Yeah. That's so it's such a brief, it's such a brief moment, this guy drinking tea, sitting in front of a window with the Eiffel Tower. So that's but, though, like, yeah. that's a clue if we didn't have any meta information that we're looking at the Shadow King mm-hmm. or something connected to him. Like, we know from meta information that the actor who plays that man sitting is the same actor who's credited as Amal Farouk. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt that that's who that is. Yeah. But if we're being really cagey, we don't actually know in text that who that's that who he is. is. But we have yeah. evidence even in the show through these triangles. That's interesting. Yeah. And then he's, we zoom out through his eye and he's wearing sunglasses. Yeah. Like the sunglasses, I think, are important because 
the eyes are all about like where people are and where there's something inside. Mm-hmm. And so he's uh, guarded or uh, like we don't have access to what's inside. We, we've been granted access, but most people don't have it. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And then we zoom out from him. Yeah, to Oliver sitting at this club. So is Oliver then the, like, Oliver and the club is what we believe is real? I guess so. Then where is Amal Farouk? Like, that's his body that we saw, but we, do we think that that's not literally his body? Because it's inside Oliver's head. Yeah. Right? I don't think that's literally anywhere. That's just meant to show us that inside Oliver is Farouk. Mm-hmm. And inside Farouk is Oliver again. Yeah. So Oliver's body is the outermost layer, but Oliver's mind is trapped inside Farouk's mind. Yes, that's what I think. And then Same. what is Lenny then that is trapped inside? That's what I don't understand is because, like, is Lenny just an aspect of Farouk's personality? Lenny is Farouk, as far oh, as we know. Was last but, season. She was last season, exactly. Yeah. It's very unclear what Lenny is now. And, like, I'm just going to keep calling Lenny, like, Aubrey Plaza Lenny, because I just don't know what else to call her, because she's not quite, I mean, she is the Shadow King, except maybe she's not. Unclear. And then we have Oliver is in this club, and, like, I said, like, is Oliver the outermost layer? Is Oliver what's real? But then the club is, like, has club written over it in mm-hmm. red letters. Yep. That doesn't seem literal. No, definitely not. <laughs> no. Is this a literal nightclub? I don't think the rest of the episode allows me to believe that it is. Yeah. It's the only other place we see them. Yeah. Throughout this entire episode, it's the only actual place that we see Oliver and and uh, and Lenny. And it's... Lenny is there, too. And yeah. so, like, she can't be outside. Yeah. She's all inside people's heads. So what's this nightclub? So what exactly is this unclear? And we zoom out the door of the nightclub in exactly the same way that we have zoomed out of Oliver's eye and out of mm-hmm. uh, Farouk's eye. Yeah. So I don't think this nightclub is literal. Or if it is literal, like, I mean, one of the things we constantly return to on the show is the show itself is surreal. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then, one more th- thought that comes to me is we have the voiceover saying, Welcome to Madness. And then we immediately have uh, Carrie saying, Welcome to Division 3. Mm-hmm. So, Division 3 is Madness. Yeah, it seems like. Right? Yeah. Also, this voiceover just uh, uh, is John Hamm of uh, Mad Men fame. Mad Men. Oh, yes, Mad Men. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> I think that's probably a coincidence. I think that's probably a coincidence. Um, he was doing this narration and this, this, like, imagine that you're in this maze and it really, this time around, is inviting the viewer, us, to be part of the madness. Like, imagine the maze. And, of course, you do. You imagine what he says. And then... The maze is all in your brain. Welcome to madness. And like, this is your invitation into like, welcome to season two. You're with us in this madness. We're going to drive you mad the same way we're driving our characters mad. And we had some voiceover in season one, character voiceover. And we always, you and I, 
wondered about it because it seemed uh un it seemed difficult to put a finger on what exactly who was speaking and when and from where. Mm-hmm. But this narrator is a different sort of thing. Absolutely. This narrator is talking to you yes. being me. Yeah. Right? And we've had I don't want to discount the possibility that one day we'll get a snap out and it'll turn out that the narrator is speaking to a character. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's what's happening. Yeah. I don't think that's impossible, but that's not my theory. I think the narrator is narrating the show and speaking to you, the viewer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's something we've seen in Fargo. Like Noah Hawley likes to have voiceover narrators making meta commentary directly really addressing the viewer. Yeah, breaking the fourth wall, really. In Fargo, he only does it like once or twice a season. Uh, so we'll see whether the narrator continues to be a thing on season two of Legion or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what <clears throat> do we think of Sid as the cat? I love it. <laughs> Me too. I love it. It was really weird, but really cool. And like, she's talking as the cat, except the the, the cat's mouth isn't moving. So she's just kind of like, her voice comes out of the cat. I don't know. It's unclear. And and scary is it's like, please don't do that, (laughs) basically. Yeah. I think we're supposed to believe that she's making, like, she's meowing and is able to make those noises. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I love it. I love it. I think it's hilarious. And also, like, I love that Sid is practicing. Sid, all through the first season, yeah. was afraid of her powers until right near the end. And then now she's really deliberately using them and mm-hmm. honing them and developing them. And that is really cool. Yep, absolutely. It's also, like I said, this episode is very disorienting, especially for, like, we're coming back after a season break. Everything is different. Frankly, a lot of this episode is exposition, where they're just explaining to us what the status quo is now. But at the same time, they keep disorienting us enormously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. this shot, the first shot we have of Sid, of her, like, staring into space and then licking her hand and licking her, brushing her face. And you're like, what is going on? Is is Sid completely mad now? No, she's just a cat. No, she's just a cat. Yeah. Um, So... Anything else to say about this section? Only that the chattering is really super creepy. Oh, yes, absolutely. And this whole episode, maybe this season, is about madness as a contagion. Mm-hmm. So we want to think about, through this episode and through this season, I suspect, like the first episode, the first season was about David's madness and whether he was mad and whether like his mental illness or his psychic ability was what made the world seem irrational and is he delusional or not Mm -hmm. this is about i mean we have a little uh title card part two the madness of crowds is that part two meaning season two is about the madness of crowds yeah uh i think partly it is yeah And this is all about, like, madness can spread, delusion can spread, ideas are like viruses. Uh, Hmm, If season one was about uh, delusion as a parasite, season two is about delusion as a virus. Yes, I agree with you. That's a good, really good point. We'll see whether that holds up, but I'm putting it out there, putting my money on, yes, it's going to. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So there's the title card right here, part two, The Madness of Crowds. Just to be clear, there was no part one. We there watched was, it like... <laughs> how many times? We watched it like three or four times now. There is nothing at the beginning saying part one or chapter one or anything. Just I clear. really thought I had just like taken my eyes off the screen or blinked, but no, I've gone back. No part one. So we see a view from outside Division 3, zooming back into the inside. David is in a chair and unresponsive as Carrie attempts to revive him. A basket head and his mustachioed women <laughs> are watching. <laughs> Carrie takes off his helmet to connect with David, and they're surrounded by guns, men with guns. Female Carrie emerges, and the guns back down at her threat. David wakes and asks for waffles. Later, Potonomy and David are in a restaurant where Potonomy fills him in on where they are, the divisions, what Division 3 does. They have joined Division 3 to fight the real enemy, the Shadow King. David is confused and thinks it's only been a day, but before Potonomy can fully explain, Sid shows up. She lets him know that it has been a whole year and what she has been pining for him. They reconnect and go to the white room to have lots of sex. <laughs> All the sex. I, first of all, the title card, Legion, in the water, that then is covered by a boat, which turns out to be a sushi boat. Yeah. It isn't Again, sushi, it's a waffle boat. It's a waffle, waffle boat. And there's waffles on the boat, but that style is like a sushi yeah. train or a sushi boat. Yeah, there's restaurants that have those, and they're usually They're usually sushi, sushi restaurant. restaurants. Um, anyway, lots of disorienting happening again, mm -hmm. that we have three different steps of, wait, where are we? Oh, we're somewhere else. Oh, no, we're somewhere else again. Yep, exactly. Um, I think I would like to see in this season, uh, I'm kind of starting to feel like Carrie's badassery is a little informed. Mm-hmm. We yes. are keep being told, like, oh, run away. But, like, she doesn't do anything that impressive. And even yeah. last season, like, she fought all the guys and got beat up and shot and hurt. Yeah, exactly. And so, like. She has a lot of bravado, but not a lot of follow through. So why would they back down? Yeah. I was really surprised that they backed down because of her. I would like to see, please, in this season that actually in action and not just talked about. Mm -hmm. But before that, this helicopter shot of Division 3 and all of the windows is this big, like, hexagon uh, honeycomb shape. And it sounds, like, it sounds like there's a helicopter, but it sounds like buzzing, mm. like it's bees buzzing outside of a hive. So the hexagons, I mean... Let's say right now, uh, set designer, hmm, maybe I shouldn't say right now because I didn't check that it's him again. The set designer for season one was Michael Wiley. I believe it's him again. Um, it looks like him. Even though it's the sets are different, it looks like him and it looks actually a little bit like Pushing Daisies, which he was also the set designer for. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, I, I assume it's him again. It is. Good. Yeah. Set designer Michael Wiley is doing amazing work again this season. Mm -hmm. New sets and new uh, locations. And they're once again packed with meaning, with significance. And the, the hexagons. Like, yeah. do you want to talk about the hexagons for a second? 
because... Well, I mean, the shift from circles, from this, like, infinite shape, from this, like, yeah, just a circle shape to something with sides, with corners, a harsher shape, uh, like, reminiscent of bees and hives, and it's just making us think very different things than last season. And the circles uh, have lots of meanings, but like what you said about infinite, like, the circles are all... That this peaceful, psychedelic, like, everything's all cool, man. We're all just one, really, if you look at it from the right perspective. And it was the X-Men symbol. Like, there were circles constantly with X's in them. And I haven't seen that at all this episode. We have that hexagons. we have hexagons, but no X's. And I like a lot the emphasis you're putting on Honeycomb and hive mind, mm-hmm. And, like, we have, we haven't seen him yet in your recap, but, uh, no, we have. Yeah, the General head. Fukuyama. Yeah. Admiral Fukuyama? Admiral Fukuyama. Baskethead and his three women who speak with him, they are a hive mind. Mm -hmm. And they are living in a beehive. And there are honeycomb shapes all over. And we're talking about groups instead of individuals. And it's not a self-contained infinite thing of a mind. It's an infinite self-contained circle. It's we're all joined together and what affects one affects everybody. Yes, exactly. And at the same time, there are sides. Mm-hmm. Like it's a six-sided figure. Yeah. yeah. I think hexagons, man, they're all over this episode. Yep. I really like Patonomy's glasses. <laughs> yeah. Ptonomy's and his, got his whole outfit, his like cool pinstripes, I like that. I like, I've always liked Ptonomy's look. Uh, I like his new glasses. I think mm-hmm. they look great. He looks, I mean, and they're not only they are good looking, but they also signify that time has passed mm-hmm. and that his role has passed. Yes. He used to be holding a Tommy gun and now he's wearing glasses. Yep. And that he is now uh he's now associated with a signifier that represents seeing. Mm-hmm. He's looking at things. And then later we see he's connected to investigations. So he's not the shooter fighter in the signifiers that are associated with him. He's gained a new perspective, and he's now the one who looks into things. Mm-hmm. And it also signifies that time has passed. He looks older with glasses because uh, it's the future to, da- to us and to David. Yep. Things look different. And that brings me to the, our location in time has always been ambiguous, but this season feels like it's set further in the future than the last season did. Mm-hmm. Like, if last season was somewhere in the 60s or 70s, this season seems like it's somewhere in the 70s or 80s instead. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Um, I so, love... Go. Uh, just... Patonomy explains the divisions and says, after the Lazarus affair, which... What's that? Yeah, I just have in my notes, what is the Lazarus affair? I'm hoping we'll find out eventually. This is a show that gives us answers, so I'm really assuming that we will find out eventually. I mean, Lazarus is the story of Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus is a figure of, like, being raised from the dead. And so I'm guessing it has something to do with Farouk. Or someone who was supposed to be dead and isn't. Yeah, exactly. I think not for, I mean... Maybe. I think not Farouk because although Farouk has been around for a long time, he wasn't on their radar as a threat until after. Yes, that's possibly true. So I feel like the Lazarus affair, though, is, you know, someone 
should have been dead and was alive and it freaked everyone out. Yeah. I like in their conversation here uh, a lot that David is simultaneously acting as this straight man audience surrogate. He's like, was there a guy with a basket on his head? (laughs) Yeah. Right? And he's also, at the same time, the weirdest source of weirdness. Mm -hmm. Right? He's both the sane man in a world gone mad and also the mad point of view unreliable narrator through whom all our madness is filtered. Yes. That's quite a trick. Mm -hmm. To make him both of those things at once. Yep. Um, but he totally is. Mm-hmm. And this time we're straight up hearing the voices in his head. Yeah. Like straight up conversations. He says like, do you think he knows? What do you As, think about that? Yeah. I think, well, we, we thought what we weren't sure in previous seasons was like, is he hearing other people or is he hearing himself? And now at least two of those voices are definitely both him. Yeah. And they're both voiced by Dan Stevens. He doesn't have a British accent anymore. Yeah. The one of the voices. Maybe is, they will eventually. Is that because that voice isn't his rational mind? Or is it just because they decided that it's time to make them all sound like David? Hmm. Unsure. Um, but the two voices talking in his head. I love that in this episode. I hope they keep it up the whole season. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I really like it. I did not recognize at first. On first watch, in this moment, I didn't recognize that those were both voices in David's head. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, but eventually I did in this episode on the first watch, and then watching it again, I obviously recognized them. Um, just point out that the Division logos, when Patonomy uh, is telling about the Divisions, and we see kind of a reenactment of the divisions on the chalkboard the division logos are all inside hexagons hmm. I division didn't one that. division two division three are hexagons hmm. um and also in terms of the set design on the wall in this scene and then throughout this whole episode there's this wall pattern of like uh rectangles inside rectangles inside rectangles and mm. you see that wall pattern in real life i'm sure there's a name for it i tried to look it up and couldn't find it but yeah it looks like a maze, but it's not a maze. Hmm. It's a maze with no answer. It's a maze right. that's all dead ends. Right. Uh, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, that's how I look at it. <laughs> um, is the voice on the PA still Jermaine Clement? No, no right? Definitely not. No. Yeah. It doesn't have the same accent. No, but Jermaine can do accents. No, yes, but it's, I don't think it's him. No, I don't think so. And it wouldn't make sense that it would be because we're not in Summerland that he built anymore. Exactly. I wonder whether we're going to meet the voice in the, on the PA though. Yes, I wonder that too. Um. The voice in the PA talking about like the symptoms of the madness or whatever. And it's like repeating sounds, repeating sounds, like. Is that actually repeating? Is that repeating for like, do we as the audience think that we're hearing that repeated and feel like we're going mad? Like we're really invited into the madness in this episode. I feel like one of the things that makes Noah Hawley great uh, that I really like about him is he says, yeah, why don't let's go for it. Right? Yeah. 
And we know that from watching the show. We also know it from talking to people involved in the show. That's one of the things that Denny Gordon really said, uh, talking about episode seven, both that the silent film was just like a sudden idea, but also that she said his approach to her as a director of an episode was like, run with it. You got an idea, do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wonder whether repeating sounds, repeating sounds was just something that struck him as funny and they were like, okay, do it. Yeah. Or maybe there's a deeper significance. I mean, there's both because it can be both without yeah. being that. But like, it is just like, it's inviting you into the madness. It's the the title cards I realize now of like not having a number one when you had to have a two, you're like, did I see a one? I'm sure I saw a one. And you didn't. You didn't see it. And they're just creating paranoia they're creating, in the audience. Exactly. Yeah, I totally, I like this thing you you keep bringing up of inviting us into the madness for sure. Uh, I like a lot the moment when David is like, can I kiss you? She's like, you better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now they can kind of just use that white room without... It being infected by the Shadow King? Well, apparently. Apparently. Later on in this very episode, we'll see maybe it... Yeah, maybe it still There's is. still trouble there. Yeah. But, uh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Then, in that scene, one more little thing. In that scene with all the sex, there's one point where they're uh, up against a wall. But from the way it's shot, it seems like they're lying down. Yeah. And then we zoom out and we see that they're standing on the bed and against a wall. Yeah. It's just one more example of the camera shots are all disorienting in terms of like in the most literal sense of disorienting. Like yeah. we don't know which way we are oriented in space. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So S- Sid explains that they've been chasing Oliver and come close to finding him. We see a montage of Oliver on the run and people becoming infected with chattering teeth. Sid, after saying this, Sid walks to Melanie's room. Melanie is a shadow of her former self. They discuss their men and how they disappear. Sid pours her tea, but is optimistic about David and Oliver both returning. But Melanie says things won't be the same. After Sid leaves... Melanie does the same vapor drugs that David used to do, this time coming from an elephant. As she goes upside down, there is a man on crutches with no feet in her room. We only see him upside down, and maybe he has a goat head? Maybe. That's where I'm stopping. (laughs) All right, first of all, I want to talk about the catalyst before we move forward. Yes. Um, The catalyst is what they call, is what Sid names the, like, the weird effect of people freezing and their teeth chatter. Mm -hmm. And okay, uh, we, there's, there's lots to say about that, but very first of all, a catalyst is a substance that incites a chemical reaction without itself undergoing permanent change. Mm-hmm. So, even in the most colloquial sense, like, a catalyst isn't a thing, or isn't the point. A catalyst is a thing that causes something else. So if the catalyst is these people get uh, paralyzed and their teeth chatter, what is that a catalyst for? What is going to happen next? Mm-hmm. What is that 
causing. Right. No, I'm asking you, Jan. Explain <laughs> the show to me. <laughs> uh, the end of the world. Yeah, okay. That's my theory. I accept your theory. I'm thinking, like, really, what, what does the Shadow King want? Power. He wants to be godlike. That's what was established in the previous season. And so if he can get as many people as possible to be infected, that's the catalyst for him becoming god. Yeah. They could all be under his control. Hmm. Uh, the chattery teeth, as I said, is like so incredibly so creepy. creepy. So creepy. And I love, I love that Sid just puts it like, breaks some of the mystery of like, except for that creepy thing they do with their teeth. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. That's right there with, was there a guy with a basket on his head? Of mm. like telling us that they're aware of how weird their world they're living in is. Yeah. And I like it. Yep. We have in the previous scene that we talked about, Sid talks about waiting for the kettle to boil. And if she can hold her breath while the kettle boils, it means David is alive. And her kettle is white. And we go into Melanie's room and Melanie's kettle is about to boil. And it's this bright red kettle. Hmm. And Melanie is, doesn't, and when the kettle boils, Melanie doesn't care. She doesn't get up to get it. Sid has to get it for her. Yeah, I wonder, I have written down, like, what is the symbolism of kettles in this episode? I think that it's the difference between someone who is waiting and someone who has stopped waiting. And that's spelled out almost explicitly by Melanie, is that she has completely given up on Oliver. And is, I mean, she's just completely different. She's lost all of her confidence and all yeah. of her leadership. She's a lot like the Melanie in the mental clockworks, frankly. Yes, exactly. Who, like, is really, f uh, I was going to say flighty, but it, that's not right. But she's, the, whatever is the opposite of driven. <laughs> yeah. Aimless. Yeah. But if the kettle for Sid, the kettle represents the symbol of David's possible return. She mm -hmm. can hold her breath. Literally, she's holding her breath for him to come back. So if she can hold her breath until the kettle blows, that means she's capable of waiting until he returns safely. Mm -hmm. And Melanie, the fact that the kettle blows and she doesn't react is like she doesn't care whether Oliver comes back. Mm -hmm. Is there a third? Like, I was trying to think. In narrative, we expect three beats. Mm. And the third of that might be the vapor that uh, comes out of the elephant, which is shaped like a kettle spout. Yes. And Melanie puts her face right in and inhales it. And it's not a whistling kettle, but it is vapor that that's what she's waiting for instead. Yes, you may be right. And elephants are associated with lots of things. But the first thing that I think of with elephants is elephants never forget. Elephants are connected to memory, mm. and she's using an elephant to uh, self-medicate and to make herself forget instead of, so that it's connecting to the idea of memory and that she wants not to remember. Yeah. But even the way that she is not remembering is a symbol of memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she turns upside down, and there's the weird goat head guy. Yeah, you really, really want to talk about the goat head guy. No, and, like... I just want to say, like, it's there. <laughs> I don't think, like, we have no idea what it is. We don't know what's going on. We maybe will find out eventually. But, like, I just want to point out, like, you may have missed it because it turns all upside down. 
but there's some weird crap going on there. I, when I say you really want to talk about it, I'm like, from the time we first watched it until now, you have brought that up a lot outside (laughs) of recording the podcast. You're like, what is up with this goat head guy? And I'm just like, I haven't even the beginnings of a thought of a theory of an idea. I have no idea what this goat head guy is. So I, I, maybe we'll find out in another episode and then I'll have things to say. Yeah. I am just completely lost. There are few things. Most things in this episode, I can kind of flounder and come up with something that might be right. It's, it's a stab in the dark. Goat head on crutches? Like, I have no idea. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, there's hexagon. Melanie's table mm-hmm. is a hexagon. Yep. And there's a hexagon pattern on her wall in yep. her room. And also, like, this is not the first time in the last season, Melanie also made an explicit connection between David and Oliver. Yeah. And here we are again. And it's not just because of the Shadow King that David and Oliver are like, like, she sees a connection between them. Mm -hmm. And therefore, she sees a connection between herself and Sid. And she makes that very explicit, like, us, our men, we're in the same boat. Yeah. And Sid does not want that connection to exist. No, not at all. So we move on with a title card that says, Chapter 3, Delusions. Now, just to point out before I get into the recap, this says Chapter 3. The first one said Part 2. Right. So that's different. We get another John Hamm voiceover. The story of Zhuang Zhu, a monk who isn't sure whether he's a butterfly or a monk. We see an egg crack with a chicken side, and the narrator tells the story of Albert A., who isn't sure if his leg is really his leg, and eventually cuts it off. Another egg with a slimy black beast cracks open. Lenny grabs the chick, kills it, and the black slimy creature feeds on it. Then Lenny picks up the creature and kisses it. The narrator talks of psychosis. Then David sees flashes of the orb, and the question uh, remains of, what do you remember? So. So. (laughs) Right. This is a whole, like, just completely storytelling part. This isn't anything to do with the actual plot of what's going on with David. This is just like, here's a story time. Yeah, and we've talked in previous season about uh, this show, and Noah Hawley in Fargo also likes to just let me tell you a story, have a character tell you a story that I'm not going to explain. There is actually some explanation of the stories in this section. Mm-hmm. Not a ton, yep. but there is some. And we're left to make sense of what these stories mean and how they're related to the rest of the episode. So... Zhang Zhu, this is a story that I have been familiar with before, outside of uh, Legion. How about you? Uh, it sounded familiar, yeah. So the idea of the philosopher who dreamed he was a butterfly, and then when he woke up, he didn't know whether he was a butterfly dreaming he was a philosopher or a philosopher dreaming he was a butterfly. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, when that story gets told, it's a story about uh, like existentialism and the uh, 
unreliability of knowledge and that you can't ever know what's real. Mm-hmm. In the context of this episode, though, it's, in the con- it's presented as an example of delusion. Yeah. Of like this idea comes into his head and then he can't get rid of it. And we're presented in this, in the context of this narration, we're presented his story as if, well, of course he's a person per- who's dreaming he's a butterfly. Yeah. The uncertainty about who he is is a delusion, is an idea that could become psychosis. Like, we're not actually invited to wonder about the nature of reality. We're invited to wonder about the nature of what, the difference between what is known and what is believed but untrue, right? Yeah, which is really highlighted by the next story of the guy who cuts his leg off, that, like, it really was his leg. Yeah. There's no, there's no chance that it wasn't his leg. It was really gross that he cut it off. And putting those two stories right next to each other also really emphasizes that, like, no, Zhuang Zhu was Zhuang Zhu. He was not a butterfly. Yeah. He dreamed he was a butterfly. I've never, act, like, the story has always been presented to me before as, like, who could ever know which one he really was? Mm-hmm. Like, a Zen. It's a yeah. Zen story. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting in this, for this season and for the context of this show, that, like, there is a real reality that's real, mm-hmm. that's unquestionable. And the only, que- the only thing that is questionable is whether you recognize what's real. Yes. And that's part of, like, drawing us into madness, maybe, is in the last season, we didn't ever have grounding, or we very rarely had grounding on what was real. hmm And this season is telling us very explicitly, or fairly explicitly, like, there is a real that's real, and if you don't recognize it, you're delusional. Right? Yes. And then when you experience the show and don't recognize it, the show has told you that that means you're delusional. Yep. One of the voiceovers of like, beware of ideas that are not your own. And us watching this show are watching ideas that are not our own. Yeah. And I mean, like, it went past actually, and I didn't comment on it, but that beware of ideas that are not your own happens right before Sid is the cat. So Sid... No, it doesn't. It happens more than once. Oh, okay. Uh, we have Beware of Ideas That Are Not Your Own, and then we have immediately Sid as the cat. I am 90% sure maybe I'm wrong, but I wrote it down as things that happened right next to each other at the time as I was watching it, and I think it happens more than once. Okay. But Sid is having ideas that are the cat's ideas mm-hmm. because the cat is in her body, and then... What is fiction if not someone else's ideas being placed in your head? Yeah, exactly. And like, we have, here's a maze. There's a maze in your head. The narration has put a maze in your mind. It's an idea that's not your own. Right? Yep. So you're totally like experiencing as the audience ideas that are not your own through this whole episode and through all, anytime you uh, have fiction. Mm Mm-hmm. I also just like, in terms of disorienting shots, we have the foreground with the slimy creature and Lenny in the deep background and her hand appears right above. It makes her hand, I feel like her arms is like insanely long. Well, and she reaches up and her hand comes from above. Yeah. So as she reaches up, her hand comes from above. So she's oriented 
as if her up for her and up for the chick are the same, but then they're not because she's reaching down to the chick while she's reaching up. So the chick is upside down from her perspective mm-hmm. or she's upside down from its. It's very disorienting and I love it. Yeah. And we have all the thing with Chick and the Lenny and the creature is like in this white space without any uh, feature, this featureless white space, reminiscent of the white space that the red box was in back in season seven in episode, back in episode seven in season one. But Mm -hmm. it's this place without any uh, orienting features. So where are we? When are we? What's up? What's down? What's close? Well, it's all washout. It's a... it's a space without any orienting uh, features. There's also that when he's talking to both Potonomy and Sid, they'll be, they're in like that restaurant thing, but then it shows them on a gray background. Right. With no sense of space. Like that's not where they are. Yeah. It just blanks out completely what's behind them. That's weird. Which is also really disorienting. So this whole scene with the egg and the thing, the black thing, mm-hmm. this uh, apparently is a possibly an allusion to Twin Peaks. Mm. I haven't seen what it's alluding to, but apparently in Twin Peaks there was a part where a creature hatched out of an egg and a black thing came and it crawled into... Uh, the mouth of what's her name? Laura Palmer. Laura Palmer's mouth. This must be in the revi- in the newest season of Twin Peaks, because I haven't seen it. Uh, I didn't see the end of season of the last season of the first thing of Twin Peaks either. But apparently there's a lot of similarity of like a black creature that hatches out of an egg in a surreal scape that represents evil mm-hmm. and it's crawling into the mouth of a young female protagonist. Now, uh, does Lenny eat that? You said she kisses it. And I watched it again after I, I read this, uh, after I'd watched this episode a couple of times, I stumbled upon a reaction to this episode. I usually try to avoid those because I want to give my reaction on, uh, unaffected by other people's reactions as much as seems fair. But I found this one talking about the black thing uh, that referenced that it was an allusion to Twin Peaks, possibly. And they didn't know whether she was eating it or kissing it. And when Mm -hmm. I watched it again, I can see where it's not totally clear. It cuts away the minute she puts it to her mouth. Yeah. So she's kissing it or eating it. Mm -hmm. Anyway. If you viewers, if you listeners to this podcast know Twin Peaks better than we do, uh, let us know whether you buy this theory that I can't remember where I read it. <laughs> all right. That was a little <laughs> convoluted, but yes. Yeah. We're all, we've all gone a little mad. <laughs> we do. We have and we do sometimes. So Clark comes and sits with David in the restaurant. I'm calling it a restaurant, even though it's part of Division 3. Who knows like what it is? It's like their cafeteria or something. cafeteria, but it also has boats. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Clark comes and sits with David in the restaurant. David tries to discuss Farouk, and Clark says that he's 
born in the late 18 early 1800s or came to be in the early 1800s. Yeah. But then he segues into talking about lies. When David asks if he thinks that he's lying, Clark answers with a story about soap operas that makes it clear that he does think so. David goes to see Fuki- Admiral Fukuyama. He attempts to read their mind, but they're not able to be read, and the three women and the basket head are called the organizing principle. <laughs> I'm, I like basket head. Me too. Keep it up. David wants to help, and they send him to go see Carrie, but not before saying that Oliver will be killed and Farouk's body must be destroyed too. They're both looking for the body. In Carrie's lab, David is put inside a tank to boost his abilities. Meanwhile, Sid and Potonomy talk in an elevator. Sid is still trusting and optimistic, but Potonomy saw some memories in David and doesn't believe him, thinking the Shadow King might still have a hold on him. I, okay, to start with, Mm -hmm. Clark with that ice cream (laughs) is killer. That is magnificent. It's one of the best moments in TV of like, <laughs> it's so good. I love it. Um, just in case you, if you watched the episode, you remember it. But he's like, whenever someone was an evil twin or had amnesia, we used to eat ice cream. Hold on a second. And then a waiter brings him ice cream. He hasn't, doesn't order it. He obviously saw far enough ahead to order it before any of this conversation happened and it arrives just in time. And he, and he holds a spoon above it and is like, what were you saying? <laughs> oh, yep. man, that's fantastic and mm-hmm. magnificent. It's a bit of a sick burn. <laughs> it is the sickest of burns. <laughs> Speaking of sick burns, do you notice in the scene we either see Clark from his unburned side in profile or see him straight on with his unburned side in shadow. We don't ever see his burned side in profile, and we don't ever see him straight on with his unburned side clear. Mm-hmm. When we're looking right at him, we see him burned and disfigured. And when we are seeing him from the side, we don't see any sign of his burns. Yeah, that's interesting. And there's a real, like, it is a trope of a two-faced character or a character with scars, and you show the unscarred side when they're being good and truthful, and you show the scarred side as their dark side. I'm not sure that we're doing anything that simple here. No, I don't think so either. The scarred side is... uh complicated for Clark because it is also, in addition to being like his scarred side that possibly we might want to read as his dark side, which I kind of hate when a visual scar is a signifier of evil. Yep. In this, his scars are a signifier of uh, David having hurt him. Yes. David's the one who gave him those scars, uh, vicarious, sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're a visual symbol of his distrust in David. They're a visual symbol of his distrust in David and of his reasons that he should distrust David. Yeah. And of the way that he has been harmed by his contact with David. Mm-hmm. So maybe we see him from his unscarred side when he is uh, 
presenting his trusting face to David. And then when he reveals that he doesn't trust David, we see him straight on. Mm-hmm. That may be true. But his, yeah. And there's real shadows splitting his face in half when we're watching him straight on. Yeah. Anyway. What do you think of the organizing principle? I'm not sure. The way that it's presented, like, you said it as if uh, that's the final answer and who Admiral Fukuyama is. I read that scene as just like, we are the machine that bleeds, the organizing principle. I don't think the organizing principle is any more there his identity than any other of the stuff that he said. Mm, Okay. Maybe I misheard, misunderstood. No, I, you might be right. I just, we'll, we'll have to see whether that's what pans out. That's not how I read it. Yeah. Which doesn't mean I disagree with you. It's just not what I read it when I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's like Admiral Fukuyama is the guy with the basket on his head. And then the three in the credits, women. They're, ver- they're credited as Vermilion 1, Vermilion 2, and Vermilion 3. Hmm. They're not... Nothing in the actual text names them that, but they're credited yeah. that as that. Interesting. I okay. So what do I think about? What do I think about them? I think many things about them, and yeah. the first one is just that I love the premise a lot. Yes. Ah. Uh, everything about it. Yeah. From me the, too. The basket head is the one thinking, and they're his voice. Ah. Uh, is kind of what we're basically said, but they're not like, uh, they have their own agency because when it first said, he said, master says that we blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So they, he telepathically communicates with them, but they aren't like extensions of his body. They're somehow have will of their own. Uh, I love their voice and the sound of it just on an aesthetic, per- in an aesthetic sense that like, Everything. I was like, women in mustaches, models, like not just women, but like yeah. uh, uh, conventionally beautiful models mm-hmm. with mustaches. Yep. Uh, with, and in this scene with like giant magnifying lenses in front of their faces. Yeah, it's And very they're standing on hexagons. Yes, they are. And their voice that sounds just like shell from Portal. Not Shell. Gladys. No, sorry. Like Gladys from Portal? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, their voice reminds me a lot of the Portal games, especially Portal 1. Yeah, Portal before Gladys gets uh, revealed. Yeah. And she's at her most robotic. Mm-hmm. I love the sound of it. I love everything about Admiral Fukuyama in both conception yeah. and execution. The, the basket on his head, the absurdity of both the basket yeah. and the mustaches are just like, they're comical and uh, absurd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like that about... And the, the room itself is absurd. It's like got like basically paintings on the wall that are lit up that are like really off-putting. You have David standing at what looks like the top of a staircase. But the stair, but he, it's once again disorienting. Like it's like he's floating in midair. Yeah, and the basket head is in front of trees, but the yeah. the ground is like the the 
landscape that is on the wall behind Baskethead is shot from above. Mm-hmm. So we also, it, it's like they're both in midair. Mm-hmm. And then there's a sk- cityscape behind one of the Vermilions. Yeah, exactly. It's also like a weirdly not, oriented. Yeah. I like thematically, like they're all about... We've we've mentioned already the seasons about hive minds and in high and collective identities, and so they literalize that, that mm-hmm. like this is four people who are one person. Yeah, the fact that they're multiple like that means that David can't read their mind, and it also means taking the title of the show Legion. Uh, David is a person who is many people, and mm-hmm. in the comics, he's uh, has multiple personality disorder. In the show, he's schizophrenic, which is not. Exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe he isn't schizophrenic, but he has voices in his head that speak to each other. Mm-hmm. Maybe he will turn out to have multiple personalities also in his head. Uh, in any case, he's a person who's more than one person. And Admiral Fukuyama is a person who's more than one person. Yeah. And Oliver is a person who's more than one person. Mm-hmm. And we have these different conceptions of... Being multiple. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Yep. Um, I kind of skated past it, but this this part has the scene with, uh, they tell David to take off his clothes and Carrie emerges from Carrie's body. <laughs> and is that this scene we haven't... Yeah, it is. Okay, you're not going to come back to that again? No. Uh, the, so... So, basically, I, mean, I didn't really get it the first time I watched it, but it's like... They're like, get naked. And so female Carrie is like, oh, I would like to see that as myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely like. And it's hilarious. Haha, Carrie wants to see David naked. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Um, she just completely lacks in social graces. She sure does. Backing up a bit from that, still in the room with Admiral Fukuyama, though. We talked a lot in season one about what exactly is the nature of the psychic abilities. Like, mm-hmm. is it bodily or mental? And yeah. we have an answer here. Hmm. Uh, that the Shadow King's abilities are genetic, meaning of the genes. Physical, not mental. Yeah. So his body, even though he's not in it, his body is where his power lies. And you have to do something with his body, prevent him from finding it, prevent him from... And we also, uh, in season one where is it where is it what are they looking for and we get an answer to it in the first episode of season two because this show likes to give us answers which is what happens when you have answers then you can give them oh yeah i love it i love that we get an answer right away that what what they're looking for what they've been looking for all along has been his body we get throughout the show like there's a lot of things that don't make sense that are confusing and disorienting and mm-hmm. yet i can accept them all because i the things that uh they're never jerking us around yeah exactly like the act there's a fairly straightforward plot underneath all of that that gives us some orientation despite all the disorientation yeah we're in a race like this ep- this david says we're in a race and that seems to be at least at first, the status quo of this season. They're racing to find uh, Farouk's body. Maybe that won't be the whole season. Maybe it'll be a couple of episodes. Maybe it'll be all season. Who knows? But, like, we have a recognizable 
story mm-hmm. structure that all this madness can play around in the story structure that is a solid story structure and we can trust that they're not jerking us around, yeah. they're not lying to us, they're not giving us red herrings that lead nowhere. Red herrings that lead nowhere lead somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, and then we get the amplification chamber mm-hmm. that Carrie with a C built. I'm like, I feel like it's a... Uh, it's Cerebro. Yeah. Right? It's like a mix between Cerebro and the sensory deprivation chamber in Fringe. Yep. Yeah. Which is not the first time that the show has kind of reminded me of Fringe, one of the shows that we didn't mention as a show that yeah. to connect this with. But like the title card, the, the font even of mm-hmm. Legion is reminiscent and the way that it, it'll be like clockworks. Uh, when we were at Clockworks, there, were, there was an orientation text on the screen that was reminiscent of Fringe. Mm-hmm. And then just all the craziness. Yep. I agree. So back in that tank, David floats outside of his body through Division 3 and then into the sky. Then suddenly, in the dance club, hundreds of people dance and David, Oliver, and Lenny have a dance-off. There's a bald man in the, in the club who David never quite sees. Back in the lab, Carrie is also dancing. Mm. David has teleported himself out of the tank and into a hallway where, Dave, where Sid finds him. They go to her room where she's upset that he's keeping secrets from her and worried that he'll leave again. He gives her a compass that always points her back to him. As they sleep, David is in the orb again. This time, Sid appears, but it's an older version of her. She, she can't speak, but writes, writes in the air and tells him, help him, Farouk, find his body. David wanders forward, and his costume changes again to, back to his pajamas, but he's in the club again, and the song White Rabbit plays as he sees the bald man Lenny, and Oliver. Lenny strokes his face, and then he's back in the bedroom, standing up beside the bed as Sid sleeps. And we cut to credits. So a lot happens there. A lot happens there. This is where I noticed... There's a lot of green in this episode, Mm. compared to all the red in season one. Green and yellow. Green and yellow. And, like, it seems like the... um, the restaurant, as we call it, is kind of red, but yeah. a lot of Division 3 is green, mm. and things are accented in green, mm. and there's a lot of important green, and the sensory deprivation tank is lit with green light, and things are green in yeah. this episode. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, did we talk about... Um, we didn't, hey? The, when... Patonomy is that this that in this section when Patonomy and Sid are on the elevator and Patonomy asks if Sid still trusts him. Oh, whoops! We we I mentioned that last section. You did. I forgot to forgot to talk about it. That's okay. Can we talk? Do you have anything to say about it? Not necessarily. Just that, like Patonomy, who sees memory, is seeing bits, but he's not seeing the whole, and so somehow his mem- David's memory is is shielded from him again. And last season. Patonomy always suspected that David was trying to block his memory, but David wasn't. And in this season, 
I think he is. Yeah, I think so I think too. David is consciously trying to hide his memory from Vitonomy and is a powerful enough psychic that he mostly can. Yeah. Um, and Sid says, he's my man, which I don't love as a line, but no. lots of people do. Yeah. <laughs> In the, when David is like going out of the chamber and we see lots of flashes, there's a flash of a building and I didn't catch it the first time, but uh, there's someone falling off the building. Yeah. We saw that in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Not, we saw it more close up than we see it in this episode. But like, there's someone falling off that building. Yeah. I think we're coming back to that building and what is going on there mm-hmm. in the next episode or so. Yeah. And then with, what do we... Uh, do we have anything to say? Do we make anything of the, like, kids playing Duck, Duck, Goose? What's that about? Yeah, it feels like he's doing a tour through Division 3, and there's children there. Like, children are mentioned earlier in the episode as well. Children can't be infected because they're too young. Yeah, no one these knows the, why. These are the children of the people who are infected. Oh, yeah. Is my guess. It could be. And so, like, they go to, like... They show like these scenes, like these outdoor scenes with peop- with a bunch of people who are infected, like the library and things like that. And so there would be children there. So those children need to be taken care of. So I think that that's what Division 3 is doing. Hmm. Okay. I can buy it. Who is the bald monk guy? Who is the bald monk guy? I feel like he's the red herring shadow king. Like, is that Amal Farouk somehow as well? Is that uh, the devil with the yellow eyes looking normal? Hmm. <laughs> you know? Maybe. Is that, yeah. Or is that someone completely different? He has like these two black lines on his forehead. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't recognize him from anything. No. There are not a lot of characters on Legion who come from the comics. Like, mm-hmm. in the first season, only David, the Shadow King, and sort of Professor X by who didn't even mentioned. really appear. Yeah. So I don't think, I don't recognize him from the comics. I don't know Legion comics the best, though I know them a lot better than I did when we watched the pilot of this show, because we've read a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think it's fruitless to try to hunt the uh, monk with two lines on his forehead up in the comics. Yeah. So, I mean, at this point, he's a mystery. I'm going to go out on a limb and say my theory. Here's my theory. Say your theory. He is one of David's personalities in his head. Hmm. He is the new Lenny, but he's just part of David. Right. And he was, is there to help him defeat the Shadow King again. Okay. That's my theory. It's now recorded, so if it's wrong, everyone will be able to laugh at you for saying such an outlandish As theory. Rightly so. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I think that sounds plausible. And I kind of, uh, yeah. I, I don't want to say, I thought the same thing, I just didn't say it. But that sounds right to me, actually, also. Mm-hmm. I think we're meant to think that he's maybe the Shadow King, but I think he's not. I'm not sure we're meant to think he's the Shadow King because he's very, like, uh, he's mysterious, but he's not threatening. Yeah, that's true. He is not threatening. So the dance sequence. The dance sequence, I mean, first of all, amazing. Secondly, amazing. Yeah. It's so good and so bizarre, but so cool. 
But what is it? Okay. Because Carrie starts dancing. Yeah. Yeah, okay, first of all, okay. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> the dance sequence is amazing. And then Carrie starts joining in, and that knocks it up a notch from amazing to phenomenal. Like, mm-hmm. it's... I don't know why that is the thing that pushes it over from being great to being the best thing, but yeah. it is. It, it makes it the best. The yeah. Carrie also starts dancing is amazing. And it connects it to that episode. And it connects us to in, uh, in The Undiscovered, also written by Nathaniel Halpern, by the way, chapter four, is where there's that fight scene and Carrie, female Carrie gets beat up and male Carrie gets beat up and uh, Oliver is dancing. Yeah. So Oliver dances while Carrie feels what Carrie is feeling. And then here we have Carrie dancing while Oliver is dancing. Like there's suddenly this connection between Carrie and Oliver instead of between Carrie and Carrie. I think the connection between Carrie and David. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Is actually. that we have the the Shadow King is infecting people, and this is David is infecting Carrie. It's David's like, psychicness is so strong that Carrie can't help but dance along with David. Hmm. Yeah. And time is wonky here because is this happening in the past or is this happening right now? Because it seems to be happening in the nightclub and what uh, Patonomy saw in David's memory was David in the club with Oliver and Lenny dancing. Mm-hmm. So is this a memory that David's reliving? And if it is, like, we started off being like, is the nightclub a literal nightclub? And we kind of both thought no. Yeah. So, I don't want, I don't think that uh, three literal human bodies were in a literal nightclub having a dance-off. No. I don't think that's a thing that happened. Definitely not. So then, They're on the astral plane. They're on the astral plane, and this represents, like, are they, is this a dance battle? Are they in contest between each other. And he seems to be three-sided. Yeah. Like, are Lenny and Oliver on the same side in this dance contest against David? Or are they all three striving with each other? Well, it seems like, at first, it's like, David does his dance. Oliver does his dance that's kind of, like, imitating. And so it's like, I can do that better than you. And they both stop and watch Lenny do her dance, which is phenomenally better than both of them. And is instrumented differently. Yes, She gets exactly. violins. She gets strings, mm-hmm. and they don't. So it's, if you'd missed it, I'm going to make it really clear for you, I being like uh, Jeff Russo doing the score. In case you're not following this, I'm going to make it really clear for you by adding a new instrument. Lenny is not like Oliver and David. Yep. Her part in this dance is not equal to the other two. Mm-hmm. And so I guess, like, I have written down who wins the dance-off, but Lenny does, right? But David does, because he makes the, like, cross with his arm and makes it all go away. Yeah. And they all get windy? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's it's... going on. <laughs> what? 
this even happening? I think it symbolizes like a, a battle of wills yeah. between the three of them. And I'm not sure in this battle of wills whether Oliver is representing Oliver mm. or is representing the Shadow King. Yeah. And I'm not sure what Lanny's representing. Yeah. Same. So that's interesting. Yeah. So David gives Sid this uh, compass. Yeah. Hexagon shaped. Always points back to him, which is really sweet and, not, and, and distinguishes him from Oliver. Totally. And distinguishes, like, he's, Melanie may think that they're the same, but they're not the same. Because David doesn't just say, I'll come back to you. He gives her the means by which she can find him. I yeah. love this compass, and I love what it means for their relationship, and I love what it means symbolically for David as a character. Because yeah. just as important, the distinction between, trust me, I'll come back to you, and here is how you can find me. Yeah. Is about putting agency in Sid's hands. Exactly. I love it. And of course, it gives us this huge symbol to, to, in the next scene that feels like a flashback to the orb, we see Sid and she's wearing it. Yeah. For the first time, we've seen her wear it. And so we know that this is, despite the fact that this feels like a flashback to when he first went into the orb, she's not the same Sid as, that, yeah. as back then. I don't think I caught that she was wearing it. Oh, no? Oh. But it's yeah. She's big. wearing She's wearing the compass. Huge, if true. Yes. Uh, that's great. That's a great detail. Man. Um, and that's how you know she's older. And I mean, like, her face is older. It keeps flashing this weird light that shows her face being old and young at the same time. Before, I want to say two things before we talk about Sid in the orb. Yes. Um, uh, and that is, one, when... David teleports out of the thing. Uh, the voiceover, British voiceover guy says, new symptom, a strong urge to confess. David feels a strong urge to confess. Yes. We don't know that as the voiceover speaks, but we kind of see as it goes forward that she, th- she says he's keeping secrets and he says he's not, but he wants to tell her and he can't. And so yeah. is the strong urge to confess a new symptom because David feels it and he is causing the symptoms. Yeah. Like you said, he's also infecting people. Yeah. Or is that a red herring or does it mean that he's affected? Unsure. <laughs> um, and the other thing I really want to point out, I very much want to point out before we move on is when David and Sid fall asleep, we see a shot of them cuddling in the white yeah. room. And we see the black slimy thing crawling towards him, Mm -hmm. uh, towards the bed. Yeah. We heard, so the questions about that are, in previous times when we saw rotten things in the astral plane, that was the Shadow King. Yeah. It was in David's mind, but not David, right? Yeah. The questions we had on first watch about that are the questions I have once again. Is that slimy thing David or not David? Yeah. We heard earlier that that slimy thing is a delusion, is a representation, a symbolic representation of an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, no, sorry. We heard that that slimy thing is a symbolic representation of a delusion. Yes. A delusion is an idea. Mm-hmm. 
So if there's an idea in David's head that's coming towards him that is a delusional idea, what is that delusional idea? And then immediately we see that Sid told him to help find Farouk's body. Yeah. Is that the delusion? Yes. That's my question know. for you. I think it is. I don't think this is really Sid. But maybe it is. Maybe it is. <laughs> I don't know. And she would have reasons. Like, I, he would trust her. Yeah. And maybe she has good reasons. Well, and we already, I mean, if we see that stopping Farouk means killing Oliver, maybe that's enough of a reason. Yeah. And here's the thing. Time travel. Who called it? I called it. Who called it? it. I called it. (laughs) You called it. Congratulations. I'm feeling pretty good because it seems like there's time travel. And I've been saying that for like seven episodes. Or maybe you haven't said it yet. (gasps) Maybe I haven't said it yet. (laughs) You absolutely called time travel and good for you. I felt really good when it was time travel. Or felt really good when it was someone from the future. Because that still lends credence to my theory that when, when David gets sucked into the orb, in the deep background, there's someone in red, and I think it's Sid. And now it definitely and now could be because could be. Sid is the one who sucked him into the orb. Even though she isn't wearing red in that scene. Yeah. I still think that could have been her. Could have been. We are, I mean, we are, I'm not sure if we can trust future Sid. No. One point in favor of trusting her, for some reason, is that she seems very sad. Yeah, and she draws a big heart. Yeah, that's sweet. She loves him. Um, the rotating light yeah. on Sid's face throughout this scene is just a very cool effect. Yeah, very cool effect. It makes her seem very shifting. It makes us wonder whether we can trust her because she isn't, her face keeps changing. Mm-hmm. And it also makes her seem like she's out of time because she... Like you said, I think already, you definitely said it off mic to me. Yeah, it, I just said it, yeah. Old she and young looks at the same older time. and younger. When the light is coming from the left, she looks older. When mm-hmm. the light is coming from the right, she looks younger. Yeah. We talked off mic about whether that's a special uh, computer effect or not. I feel like it's a makeup effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you might be right. But anyway, it does definitely, like, she does not always look the same. Her face doesn't look the same. She always looks sad, though. Um, she does always look sad. Yeah. And then she tells him to help. She tells David, help him. When they found David in the club, the first thing he said was, help them. Yeah. It was them, not him. But maybe that was because he was slurring his words. Yeah. And then he says, they're stuck in the maze. At the time, I assumed, like on first watch, when he first said that, I assumed that he was referring to Oliver and Lenny. Mm-hmm. But, so maybe he has to help Farouk because that's the only way of helping Oliver and Lenny? I thought that them was all the people in the club. Oh, interesting. Whose teeth are chattering. They're stuck in the maze. Huh. I assumed because we just came out of hearing uh, that Lenny and Oliver were trapped. And then David says, help them, they're stuck in the maze. Hmm. I thought he was referring to them. Interesting. I assume because the next shot we see is them rescuing all the, or not rescuing, but finding all the thousands of people or hundreds of people with the shattering teeth that he was Hmm. referring to them. 
And then the credits of this season are on a black background instead of a white background. Yes, things are different. I don't know if that has a greater significance than just it looks different this season because it's different this season. We didn't talk about the white rabbit part. Oh, yeah. What do you think about that? He goes through the club again and we really see the bald monk guy again. We see uh, Lenny and we see Oliver and Lenny is like there and then she's behind him and they're in profile together and it feels like she's about to kiss him and then he's creepily standing over Sid Mm -hmm. in like the creepiest way possible like all in shadow and stuff but he changes between those two scenes he goes from with Sid in like the orb sort of thing with her in the future and he walks forward and he's back in his pajamas again yeah. So it feels like it's present. It feels like it's more like a dream that's happening right now to him, as opposed to him thinking about the past. And always the question is, what is happening now and what is happening then when you have psychics and psychic projections? And like, yeah. because I read the whole orb as a flashback that David is thinking about this flashback, so we look back at it. Yeah. But now, but, you know... We should complicate that a bit by saying it's not impossible that he's also time traveling or Mm -hmm. something. Yeah. I don't think so, but. I think maybe he is because when he says, I'm in the present, Mm. (laughs) I'm right now, that's a clue to this is happening now. The present is the present of this episode. Yeah. Whoa. Yep. Whoa. And then he's walking through, like, and when he's in the nightclub in his pajamas, that's clearly not the same time as when he's dabbing the dance off in the nightclub. Yeah. But it's the same nightclub. Or it seems to be. Yeah, it's some kind of astral plane nightclub, is my theory. Yeah. Ugh. There's so much. We've missed, like, a ton of things, even just to talk about, that I've noticed. I don't even know. You wanted to talk about the music, as you often do. I used to talk about the clothing. I don't know. There's not a lot as much to say this season, or at least this episode for this season, beside the fact that Melanie, who was always in white, is now in black. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sid, who was always in red and black, is now in yellow. Mm. Not sure exactly what that means, but it is a significant change in their wardrobe. And maybe we'll develop ideas of what it means in future episodes, Mm -hmm. or maybe not. Yeah. When, in terms of music, while David and Sid are in the white room together, doing the things that they do in the white room together, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm making eyebrows, but you can't see it, so I had to make a noise. The music that plays is We Love You by the Rolling Stones. There's a couple of things about that. One is we heard the Rolling Stones, uh, uh, She Comes in Colors, in the first episode associated with Sid uh, and with their, like their love story starts with a rolling is the soundtrack of their love story starts with a Rolling Stones song. And here we have it again. Um, And we love you by the Rolling Stones. Just a bit of trivia about it. It's a Rolling Stones song and the background singers, the backup singers are John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Huh. uh, Who happened to be recording down the hall and <laughs> Mick Jagger asked them to come sing on this song and they were like, sure. So they sing, they're the backup singers. That's cool. 
And the words to We Love You are, we don't care if you only love we. We love you, and we hope that you will love we too. We love they, we love they, ah. <laughs> we don't care if you hound we, and love is all around. We can't, we love, can't get our minds off. We love you. You will never win we, your uniforms don't fit we. We forget the place we're in because we love you. Ah, uh, I love you, I love you, and I hope that you won't prove wrong too. We love you, we do, we do, we love you, we do. Hmm. There's a few parts of that to draw attention to. We don't hear all those lyrics on the screen, but they're the lyrics to the song, and I just want to draw attention to, uh, I hope that you won't prove wrong too. This episode is all about whether David is him. Yep. And he, uh, whether he's going to prove untrustworthy to Sid, and in the end he does, or maybe he doesn't. He proves untrustworthy to present Sid so that he can be trustworthy to future Sid, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also the, like, your uniforms don't fit, we forget the place we're in. All through, both seasons have been about David not fitting in, and people not fitting in, and mutants not fitting in, and Sid not fitting in, and the two of them don't fit in, and they forget the place they're in because they're in the astral plane instead of in the Division 3, and David doesn't know where he is, and we don't know what time it is, and that's all very appropriate and fitting. Mm -hmm. So that's that. Later on, while Melanie is getting high... We hear, I Would For You by Jane's Addiction. And the lyrics to that go, Oh baby, I'm so tired. The man from the government, the man from the tax board, the man from the public school, the man owns the golden rule, yeah. I'm everybody's slave, I made you my slave. You said this I do for you, if I would help to give the world back what it gave, then I would, I would for you. And then there's more. But uh, it's an interesting song to go along with the idea that Melanie has given up hope. Mm -hmm. The idea that Melanie is doesn't care to wait for Oliver anymore because the song is all about I would do anything for you. Mm -hmm. I'm everybody's slave. I made you my slave. Uh, is that I feel like the I is associated with Melanie. Yeah. And we have this, again, just like the elephant that symbolizes memory while she's saying she doesn't remember, while she's trying not to remember, and this, she's saying, I'm not going to wait for him anymore, but the song is saying, I would for you, for you. She's still uh, absolutely waiting for and devoted to Oliver. Yeah, I agree. And then... While David is in the club in his pajamas, we hear the Jefferson Starship song White Rabbit performed by show creator Noah Hawley and uh, show composer Jeff Russo. So that's the, the voice singing is, is mostly Noah Hawley, I think. Mm -hmm. And I recognized it as Noah Hawley from just interviews and stuff. And then when I... Uh, on Twitter, someone asked Jeff Russo whether that was him and Noah Hawley, and he said, yes, it was. So I didn't recognize Jeff Russo. I don't know if he's maybe, I mean, he must be one of the vocalists. I only 
recognized it as one singer. Yeah, I'm sure. But he, Jeff Russo, has confirmed on Twitter that mm-hmm. that's him and Noah Hawley singing. Yeah. And White Rabbit is like a very psychedelic song. It's very like, it's a anthem of psychedelia. Mm-hmm. And the, what we have here, the words are pretty easy to understand because they're barely singing them. They're mostly just saying them mm-hmm. in this scene. One pill makes you larger, one pill makes you small, and the ones that mother gives you don't do anything at all. Go ask Alice when she's ten feet tall. And if you go chasing rabbits and you know you're going to fall, tell him a hookah-smoking caterpillar has given you the call, and call Alice when she was just small. Of course, um, Alice in Wonderland is a classic text. It predates surrealism as an artistic movement, and it far predates psychedelic uh, drugs and psychedelic movement as a term or a word even. Mm-hmm. But it really resonates with psychedelia and surrealism. It's a story that psychedelic art has really picked up on because mm-hmm. it's a story of nonsense and strange things that don't and juxtaposition of images that uh, you make sense of, which is what surreal art is all about. Yeah. Um, and it's this song is all about pills one pill makes you large and it's you know about drugs mm-hmm. uh fairly transparently about drugs yeah uh in the first season that we talk about there's a line about alice down the rabbit hole yeah and this is again alice and i feel like he's following the right rabbit in the he's following that monk mm-hmm. or that bald guy who looks monkish yeah we keep calling him a monk but i don't know yeah he just looks like a monk to me yeah. And we named this episode after White Rabbit because this is like, we are back. I, I felt like uh, as the ending song of the show, it's announcing to us, the viewers, that we're back down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we usually talk about uh, stories told in every episode. I want to just point out, uh, this, we have the story of the maze in the desert that the narrator tells us. Mm-hmm. We've basically covered that one, I think, what we want to say about yeah. it. Um, Potonomy tells David the story of the divisions, and that's uh, more than we've known about the divisions up till now. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it orients Potonomy again, as I've said, as like a... Uh, it orients him differently from how he was oriented in the first season. He's the one who's explaining things and establishing things like he was in the very beginning of the first season, but gets less throughout the first season. Now he's kind of back in that even more than he ever was. Mm-hmm. Telling David what's what. Sid tells David the story of the catalyst. We hear the story of Zhang Zhu, who dreamt he was a butterfly, and Albert A, who had an idea that his right leg didn't belong to him, also told by the narrator. Clark tells the story about his mother and ice cream. Mm -hmm. We talked about that scene being important, but in terms of a story that Clark tells, like it's about uh, interpreting the world through fiction. Yeah. And why is it important in that story that his mother had leukemia and died afterwards? Yeah. Like, I'm not sure. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And uh, finally, Admiral Fukuyama tells a story. When we were a boy, this machine got was put in our head. Uh, and it's a story of, like, torture and suffering. Mm-hmm. Connected maybe when I put it, these stories next to each other, and they are next to each other in the show too, connected maybe to Clark and his pain and suffering when he was a child, and that put ideas in his head, and maybe that's connected also to beware ideas that aren't yours that are put in your head. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A whole lot of stories. This is an exposition-heavy... Yes, a very exposition-heavy. A lot of stories story of heavy. what happened in the background. Yeah. Any other thoughts we want to have about this episode? I know we both have more, but... Uh, yeah, I've been... As you've been talking, I've been thinking more about the scene with Sid in the orb. Mm-hmm. And David, past David, who, like is sitting, standing on the balcony and just gets sucked into the orb, doesn't know anything about Farouk's body. Hmm. But the David who's standing there having a conversation with Sid, she draws a body with a question mark, and he's like, oh, the body, Farouk's body. Right. So I think this is somehow still the present. David's David, actual present. the present of the episode, David does know all about Farouk's body. Yeah. And he seemed, but... David keeps his voice talking to himself, keeps being like, do they know? I think he knows. No, he doesn't know. Yeah. What is it that he thinks that they might know if not this? That is possible. Lots to think about. Lots, Lots to find to out. Think for, about. I'm excited for the next episode. I'm excited for the rest of this season. And this episode of Clockworks has gone on very long. So how about we wrap her up? Yeah. Um, we're going to, we're recording this on a Saturday. Tomorrow of the recording, we're going to be at a local uh, sci-fi convention giving a panel discussion about Legion. And we're going to try and record it. So uh, that might show up as an extra live episode of Clockworks in your feed soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll definitely have a, an episode about the next episode of Legion when it airs. If you want to contact us about this show, share your thoughts, your theories, help us out on the parts. Do you know what goat head man on crutches? Do you have a theory about that? You can talk to us on Twitter at ClockworksCast. That's where we are most active. Mm-hmm. You could send us an email if what you have to say is longer than a tweet or you want it to be private. And you could do that at ClockworksCast at gmail.com. We're on other places, too, and that'll be in the show notes. If you like this show, please rate and review it so that we can get more people listening, because the more listeners we have, the more they'll be able to share their great ideas, and just the better it'll be for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else we say at the end? I said I wasn't going to uh, promote Patreon, because <laughs> I did at the beginning. No, I think that's it. All right. right. Well, then, I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. Goodbye.